Reading now from the Gospel according to Mark. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were perplexed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then how can anyone be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is not possible. But for God, it is. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age Houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last will be first. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I meet with people about joining the church... I go over with them the minimal expectations we have as members' commitment. We go through those five things that we say here every time someone joins, that we expect their commitment with prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. I always have the least to say about gifts. Almost apologetically, I say something like, we want you to be financially involved in the ministries of the church. We think it's good for you and for the church if you're able to give in a meaningful way. And then I quickly move on to service. Everyone seems relieved when I move on to service, including me. Maybe that's because of experiences like I had this summer. My 14-year-old niece sent me a text message. You know how they do. It was an image of a Venn diagram, one of those pictures that has circles, and in the middle you see what three things have in common. On the sides you see uh, what each element is. There are places where two of the three have things in common. 
The agents in this case were bank robbers, DJs, and preachers. In the center of the diagram, all three had in common, put your hands up. Apparently, that's something that DJs and bank robbers and preachers all say, put your hands up. Preachers and DJs had in common, are you with me? I didn't realize DJs say that. Are you with me? Of course, the reason she sent me the Venn diagram is what preachers and bank robbers have in common. Give me all your money. I've never asked that girl for a thin dime. If anything, she's the one who's robbed from me. But that's the kind of reputation that makes preachers hesitant to ask for any of your money. We're more likely to say, if you have anything left over, could you spare a little bit for the church? Than we are to say, as much ministry, good ministry, as this church provides for you and for this community, how much more could we do if you could be more generous? The fact is, I don't want all your money. Central doesn't want all your money. I don't think God wants all your money. We'd like some. 10% is a good biblical number to consider. Our family strives for that as a benchmark, not as an achievement. Giving is not an achievement. It's a practice. We practice financial stewardship because we believe that God has provided for us. And we trust that God will continue to provide for us. And we want to be part of this church's ministries in ways that involve our prayers, presence, service, witness, and gifts. Are you with me? To be clear, we realize that our giving has not advanced our status in eternity. If we've achieved anything, it's that we've been a little more faithful with what Jesus has provided for us and as his followers than we would have been if we kept more for ourselves. As it turns out, that, being more faithful as Jesus' followers, is the goal of all these stewardship matters. Being engaged in prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness is about being engaged as Jesus' disciples. Those are the practices, the, the habits, the things we do in order to grow as Jesus' followers. That's why you're here. When Jesus met up with that wealthy man whose concern was about inheriting eternal life, Jesus talked to him about discipleship. We often miss that. Instead, what we hear is Jesus telling him to sell all he has and give to the poor and then come follow. And we immediately begin to build our case as to why Jesus must have meant something different, why that whole idea is impractical, unsustainable, downright un-American. We, we get so caught up in determining what Jesus meant to say that we miss both the challenge and the promise of what Jesus did say. 
The challenge is that Jesus has high expectations for us. The promise is that God can do what we cannot. Jesus makes it clear that we are to keep the commandments. And the ones that he takes the time to list are the commandments that have to do with how we treat one another. Jesus wants his followers to treat others well. Apparently, the wealthy man has done that. He claimed to have kept the commandments since he was young. And Jesus says nothing to dispute that. He takes him at his word. The man lived his life by the book, which he hoped would be sufficient. But be careful what you ask. Jesus told the wealthy man that that wasn't enough. Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said, you lack one thing. Go and sell what you have and give it to the poor. Then come follow me. Now, by my count, that's three things. Sell, give, follow. But by Jesus' count, that's one thing which says to me that the, the selling and the giving were actually just demonstrations of what it means to do the following. To follow. If the man was to follow Jesus, it would mean sacrifice. Generosity. Trusting God would provide. Helping others. And more. There is no final checklist of discipleship such that once you've done all these things, then you know you've made it. Then you know you've somehow earned eternal life. Because following Jesus isn't about making it. It is about being it. Following Jesus is about being a follower of Jesus. It's never a completed task. It's never a final achievement. It's always a way of being. It's who we are. So when the disciples get alarmed that no one can inherit eternal life because it's as impossible as trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle, Jesus is relieved. For once, they are actually ready to hear the gospel. They have finally gotten to the point that achieving salvation seems impossible. So he's finally at the point where he can confirm that achieving salvation is impossible. For mortals... Such a silly translation. For people, which doesn't quite get it. For you, it is impossible. But not for God. For God, all things are possible. Jesus didn't tell that 
wealthy man, that he lacked one thing, that he needed to sell it and give it all away and follow him as if that would be the final achievement that gave him the eternal life he had earned. Jesus told him he lacked one thing because he lacked one thing. And, and Jesus wanted that man to lack nothing. He loved him. If the man thought he could buy his way into heaven, then what he lacked was an understanding of grace. If the man thought that God would only love him once he had reached a certain level of achievement, then he lacked an understanding of God's love. If the man thought that his wealth was his alone for him to do with whatever he wanted, then the man lacked an understanding of what Jesus' kingdom is like. Whatever it was that the man lacked, Jesus wanted him to lack it no more. He doesn't want you to lack either. I don't know what it is you lack today. Maybe it's more on the praying side than on the giving side. Maybe it has more to do with service than it does with witness. You're here today, so you get a mark in that column on presence. The class we offer a couple of times each year, a disciples path, has us consider where we're lacking. They have a grid that people work through, and it's related to these membership commitments that we have. Disciples, they say, are, are maturing in each of those elements. No one. Clergy included, and we've done it several times, has ever finished that self-assessment and thought, I am to the max in every category. We all have work to do. Areas of lack. That's the nature of discipleship. Of following. It's, it's an ongoing process. It, it never ends. We need grace because we don't get it all right all the time. And we need grace to help us in our growing to get it better sometimes. God looks at us and loves us and therefore wants us to lack nothing when it comes to following Jesus. As you're filling out your stewardship, materials this week. I want you to know that God looks at you and loves you and wants you to lack nothing when it comes to following Jesus. And I want you to know that how you respond will significantly impact how this church is able to respond in ministries in the year to come. Keep growing. Keep serving. Keep giving. Keep following. Lack less. Amen.